0: Have a seat, guys. Good morning. How are you? you? Okay. I mean, the first service was way better. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just playing. No, uh, my name John. I work for an organization called Stand to Reason, um, and I live in sunny Southern California but I'm not from California. You guys will pick up on the accent, I'm, I'm sure. I'm from uh, Boston, outside of Boston. So this weather is fantastic. I love it. <clears throat> I live in a place called Camarillo. It's in Ventura County. I have one wife, which is enough, and, uh, which is good because that's biblical. And I have uh, four daughters, okay? So you guys be praying for me. I have a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10 year old and a seven year old. Oh my, is right. So, guys, seriously, I need prayer because there's somebody always crying in my house. And it's usually me in the fetal position <laughs> firing off flares hoping that somebody will come rescue me. You know, I was talking to a few guys out in the lobby, and there's a few uh, there's a few dads of girls, right, girl dads, and there's probably some here, and they were like, you're totally right. And sometimes I'll, I'll be driving home from work or whatever, and my wife will call me, or she'll text me, and she'll be like, John, take your time coming home. It's one of those days. I'm like, oh, man. You know, but I, I miss them terribly, you know, and uh, and the reason why I bring up my family is because we've been doing some parenting uh, this weekend on how to raise your kids, and and it's oftentimes, um, mm, it, it's not curious to me why I'm here, but like I, I'm I'm in it just like you guys. Like I'm in the struggle. I don't know if you guys have realized this, but the world is a, is a it's a weird place right now. <laughs> you know, and navigating the issues, especially with teenagers and college students and young ones. I mean, it's just really, really difficult. And this morning, what I would love to do is, is kind of continue uh, in the spirit of what, uh, pastor Eddie has been leading you guys through and, and, and equip you guys to uh, better engage the culture starting in your own home. And there's a few things up front. One, I'm uh, I'm coming to Yeah, I know it. I pastor a small little church. I work full-time at Stand to Reason. So I'm a trained Christian apologist and a philosophy guy. And uh, But I'm really not coming to you in... With, with any credentials. I'm just coming to you as a guy who, who has to wrestle with the same issues that the culture is bringing you, that's bringing me. And I'd like to wrestle with you guys uh, through one of what I think is the most difficult topics. It has to do with what's called the exclusivity of Jesus. And if we were to boil everything down, the real reason, the real reason why I'm here is uh, simply I've been changed. I haven't always been this way. As many of you know what I'm talking about, I've been changed by the the teachings of an ancient man, Jesus of Nazareth. When my wife and I met, (laughs) I wish I had time to share the whole story, but I'm told I only have an hour and 40 minutes. (laughs) Might be enough. When my wife and I first met, I was an atheist. And when I say I was an atheist, what I mean is, okay, so atheism is the idea that there is no God, but I was more than an atheist. I was what's called a materialist. Naturalist. I believe that everything that existed was the product of a purely physical process. All that existed was in the physical realm. And if I found out that you were a Christian, it would be like happy day. Because I'd say, hey, can I take you out for a coffee? Why? Because I want to tell you how dumb you are. I want to press into your Christian worldview and test you. And then we're going to get into this a little bit after I read some scripture. But then if you had told me that I had to believe in Jesus and if I didn't believe in Jesus, I was gonna go to hell, I would have unloaded on you. How dare you? You are an antiquated, outdated bigot. Why are you so narrow-minded? Why are you so exclusive? I gotta be in your club. What about all the other clubs? That are out there, by the way. And so as we're going through this stuff, what I'd love it to to, to, for you to be thinking of is how would you respond to somebody like me? And, And and let me draw this principle: as you guys get come come you come in here every Sunday and you're getting equipped, you're a very intentional pastoral team. And the equipping, it's not meant just to sit as mental ascent right here on your heads, it's meant to be brought out there with you and shared. So as you wrestle with raising kids and students, pay attention, this is for you too, if there are students here, there are kids here. How are you guys addressing the people that are important in your life? When they bring these types of questions to your door, are you able to answer them with the hope that we have? You know, that's what PETA says. Always being ready or prepared to give a reason for why we believe what we believe. So let's, uh, I'm gonna gonna camp in John 14. If you guys have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. John 14, we're gonna pick up in verse one and see what the next two and a half hours get us. You see how I did that, I jumped the time up. Yeah, so John 14, verse one, uh, these are the words of Jesus, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that weren't so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am there, you'll also be. And you know where I am going. And then Thomas, I love Thomas. I love him so much. He said, he always asks the questions, right? Uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, these words that we all know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, i stand to reason where we are, uh, what we think is, is uh, we, should ne- we have a saying, never read a Bible verse. And it sounds kind of like an affront, like don't read your Bible. No, what we're saying is you should always read a Bible verse in its proper context. So you can understand what the original author is. Is meaning. And and if we survey the scriptures surrounding our verses today, we see that a lot has just happened. And, and, and I love to put my place like I, I try to put myself in the in the shoes of the disciples when I'm reading. That's just how I am. I'm a highly visual person. So I try to experience maybe or try to think about what the uh, the, 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 the original disciples were experiencing. And if, if, if we put ourselves in their shoes, we'd see that that Jesus, he had just instituted the Lord's Supper. With them, You know, he, uh, he just washed his disciples' feet. He's, he's putting on display for his disciples what it means to be a servant leader. He just predicts that he's gonna be betrayed by one of his own guys. He's telling the disciples that I'm not always gonna be here. I'm gonna suffer and die. And Simon Peter, again, I love Peter, right? So Peter says this, he said to him, Lord, where are you going? And then Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you'll follow me later. And then Peter, who's in love with Jesus. He loves his, his, his friend and his rabbi. He says, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I'd lay down my life for you. And do you guys remember what Jesus says to him? Jesus says, you'll lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster, a rooster will crow until, won't crow will crow until you deny me three times. Here's one of Jesus' best friends and Jesus is telling him, you're gonna, you're gonna come with me? Homie, you're gonna deny me. And I can only imagine the heartache of the disciples, the confusion of the disciples of what's being told to them. This isn't the way that it's supposed to go in their minds. And then to offer, because he, Jesus, he's sensing his disciples, they need something, they need comfort. So, so to comfort his disciples, Jesus chose these words. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then Jesus, he goes on to say that I am the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. My, my question, as, I'm, as we're looking at this verse, are these words comforting? I mean, isn't what Jesus saying here akin to saying like, hey, it's my way or the highway. Get on this train or else. Isn't that what he's saying? Believe in me or else. You know, try saying these words out in the culture today. I mean, like I said, at the onset of our time this morning, if if you had tried to say these words to me as an atheist, telling me that Jesus was the only way, I would have said that you're too exclusive. I would have said that you're narrow-minded. I would have said that you're arrogant. I would have said that there's no room for your antiquated view in modernity. Get over it. You know, and guys, if I'm honest with you today, can I just be honest with you guys today? Is that okay? Just be real with you? I had these conversations with Christians all the time. And I was, I was usually met with uh, one of two reactions, either silence or, or frustration. You know, so, so the question is, the question I wanna wrestle with you today actually has two parts. Is it narrow-minded or exclusivist to say Jesus is the only way? And then taking the next step, taking a step further in the equipping portion, how would you respond? How do we respond when somebody claims these things that it's narrow-minded or exclusive to claim that Jesus is the only way. Because as in my estimation, I travel all over the world now and, and, and I give t- talks like this and, and other talks on different topics. And it seems to me like it's this claim that's out in the culture that, that, that receives the most scorn. I think, I think it's this claim that Jesus is the only way that, that, that's met with, with such hostility but it's unavoidable. It's because it's what scripture teaches us, right? In Acts, Luke says this. He says, there's no salvation under heaven. There's no name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. You see, the world around us claims that it's narrow-minded. It violates the widely accepted principle that all roads lead to heaven. Surely God, surely God, of all, of all people, surely God isn't so narrow that he would require such, such a, a strict allegiance to one way. I mean, after all, we're, we're basically good people, right? I mean, we all deserve heaven, right? Well, the answer to that's No. Sorry. See, they bring in the guests to give the bad news. It's because I get to leave town in a couple hours, you know, unless you guys got to chase me up to San Antonio. But no, we're not basically good. And, and the claim to exclusivity, what happens is the reason why it's met with, with such a reaction is, is because it's putting an ax to the root of two trees from which the culture eats. It, 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 it's the tree of pluralism and the tree of relativism. You see, pluralism is the idea, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday in our, in our parenting conference. We had a great time. Pluralism is the idea that all religions lead to heaven, right? All roads lead to Rome. But it's demonstrably false. And here's what I mean by that. Let's just take the, 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 the most significant person who ever lived is Jesus. Not according to me, but according to almost every scholar out there. So let's take the most important person of history that who's ever lived, Jesus, and let's see what the major monotheistic religions teach about them, right? So you have Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Well, Islam teaches that that, that Jesus was a great prophet, but he never died. Therefore, he was never raised. That means on Islam, Jesus is at best like part of the part, part of the way. <laughs> part of the way. Judaism teaches what? That Jesus was a false prophet deserving of death, who got hung on a cross and died and remains dead and was buried. On Judaism, Jesus is not the way, but Christianity. Christianity teaches that Jesus is God and that he died on a cross for the sins of man and then was raised three days later. On Christianity, Jesus is the way. You see, all three monotheistic religions, all of the major world religions, they contradict each other on the person of Jesus, the most important person who ever lived. So they can't all be true. Do you guys see what I'm saying? I mean, they could all be false. I don't think they are, I think Christianity is true, but they can't all be true. This means pluralism is false. This means pluralism is false and, and, the, and the fruit from that tree is, is rotten but so too is the fruit from the tree of relativism. Relativism is the idea that there's no objective universal truth. It's all a matter of personal preference or or cultural convention. You have your way, I have mine. Hey, whatever blows, well, your hair back. God obviously loves you more than me. (laughs) We live in in this world that wants to say there's no truth, especially when it comes to morals but it's impossible to live. And, and, and here's why. The, the worldview itself refutes itself because for me to claim that there is no truth is itself a claim to truth. So this is what I want you to say, people. When, when, when somebody says to you, hey, you can't know the truth or there is no truth, I want you to respond with a question. Is it true that there is no truth? Do you see what happens? It self-refutes because in order to make the claim that there is no truth, that itself is in fact, an actual factual truth claim about the world as it really is. It fails. You know, oftentimes relativism in our culture is, uh, it's, it's expressed, uh, you do you boo. Or this one, follow your hat, heart. I'm learning. I'm like a recovering addict. <laughs> Always going back to the accent. Follow your hat. But but when we ask the question, is, is our heart actually as virtuous as we would like to think? You see, I think that there's this big, demonstrably false assumption that underneath the command to follow our hats, it, 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 it assumes the contrary to the grisly evidence that, that the human hat is untainted. But by what pre- twisted pretzel of logic have we come to believe that? I mean, could you imagine living in a world where we just followed our hats? Again, I'm just trying to be honest with you guys this morning. And my hat ain't all that good. I remember when I first got saved, right? I don't know about you, I, I got saved as an adult and I remember finding Jesus and being like, yes, everything's amazing, I have Jesus. Like all the problems, all the problems I see out there, all the problems are perfect. I, I know the solution, the solution is Jesus. Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus that. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, I realize, oh, the problems aren't out just out there, but they're in here. I am not nearly as amazing as I think I am. You see, the human hat, it, 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 all we have to do is consult the, 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 the prophets of old. Consult the prophets of old to see what they say. You know, I think the ancients offer us a, a, a much needed dose of common sense and, and remind us of a truth that becomes obvious under just simply like 10 seconds of introspection. Honest, looking inward, right? The hat's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, said the Jewish prophet of old, Jeremiah. Well, how about the Jewish Messiah, Jesus? He says, for out of the hat comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. I love the way Proverbs 28, it sums it up like this. One who trusts his own hat is a fool. I mean, I'm not trying to offend you guys. Maybe I am, but, but and I'm not trying to bring this offense intentionally, but our hats are far too depraved, too dumb and, 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 and too divided to follow. You know, it's for these reasons that that pluralism and relativism are false, but there's more for us here. Are you guys mad at me? I feel like you're mad at me. Do you guys love me? I love you. Do you guys wanna know why? Who here can say why I love you? Just yell it out. Made in the image of God. You guys are all made in the image of God. And just because you're made in the image of God, you're worthy of my love. You're worthy of my respect and my time. And and I love you guys so much. And I love you guys so much. And I'm willing to share with you the truth. And this is the truth. You know, when when someone when someone calls us or you narrow-minded or arrogant because you believe Jesus is the only way, how do you respond? I want you guys to notice something. This is this is this is like really important as far as the practical outworking of this stuff. How do you respond when somebody says that you're narrow-minded or arrogant because you're saying that Jesus is the only way? Because the person who calls you this isn't really addressing the claim of Jesus at all. All they're doing is calling you a name. You're narrow-minded. Well, you could respond like this: "Oh yeah, your mother's ugly and you know it," (laughs) or "You're stupid." But that's not how we respond as Christians, right? Instead, what we do is we graciously point out to the person, yeah, that might be, I might be narrow-minded, but you calling me names does nothing to address the claims of Jesus. It does nothing to address the claim of the argument. Now, this isn't gonna be popular. It's not gonna be a popular approach because guess what? The claim is exclusive, it is. And today, being exclusive is to violate the number one cultural commandment, thou shalt be inclusive. Right? We all want to be inclusive. No one wants to be excluded or labeled exclusive. But just like with everything else in life, we have to square all of this with what Jesus says. You know, according to Jesus, there is only one path leading to God. And the path is narrow. Guys, these aren't my rules. Listen to what Jesus says. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. For there are few who find it. You see, these aren't my words. They're Jesus's words. And this is actually another important point that we can bring with us. When, when someone is calling uh, or takes issue, calling us a name or takes issue with the claim that Jesus is the only way, their problem, is their problem with you? No, their problem is with Jesus. And you can point that, hey man, listen guys, my mom, my brother, and my sister are not Christian. You don't think I would so much rather believe all roads lead to heaven? I would much rather believe that. But it doesn't matter what I want. What matters is what's true. What accurately reflects reality? What describes the reality of the situation? The reality of the situation is given to us by Jesus. So when somebody takes issue with this with you, their problem isn't with, hey man, I wish this wasn't true, but it is true. Just because I want it not to be doesn't mean it's not. Your problem's with Jesus. So we've seen a few things so far. First, we've seen that pluralism is false. All roads can't lead to heaven because the major world religions, they contradict each other on very important things. Second, we've seen that relativism is false because the claim that there is no truth is itself a truth claim. And the third thing that we've seen is that when somebody is calling you closed-minded or arrogant or exclusivist because you believe Jesus is the only way, all they've done is call you a name. They haven't addressed the claim, but there's more for us. We gotta ask ourselves the question, is the idea that Jesus is the only way to have an antiquated, outdated, narrow-minded, and arrogant? Not if it's true. I mean, if, if it's true and Jesus is the only way, then it's actually a universal message in that everybody needs to hear it. What we have to do is, is, is think about why this is actually the case. Why is Jesus the only way? Well, I think we have evidence, good evidence that all of us experience, Christian and non-Christian, all of us experience out in the world as to, as to why Jesus is the only way. And when we look out into the world, we see this. And it starts with something that we all, we, that we all can recognize. The world simply isn't as it ought to be. I mean, why do you lock your doors at night? Why do we have unique security codes on our bank accounts? And why do we have passwords on our phones because we're all basically good? Not at all. We have evidence to the contrary all around us that there's a huge problem with the world. You see, we see brokenness and corruption everywhere. The world simply is a broken place. What's the Bible call this problem? Sin. You guys are brilliant. Way better than the first service. This is sin. You know, Jesus says that the, the, the light has come into the world and the men love the darkness rather than the light for the, their evil deeds. Paul in Romans was clear when he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah, the prophet, he says, for all of us have become like one who's unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. See the 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 problem isn't just out there either. The problem's in here. Like like when I first got saved and was on fire, and then you realize the problem is in here. We live in a in a corrupted world, and a corrupted world produces corrupted people, and corrupted people, they produce corrupted situations. You know, sin, it, it has devastating consequences. And, and I think that we're naive if, if, if we think that we can restrict the impact of our own sin to just ourselves. The truth of the matter is, is that our sin affects others. You see, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard conclusion to draw, but I think it's a true conclusion to draw is that we're not just victims. We're also victimizers. This is bad news. There's more bad news. I'm so sorry. but I love you. You see, having been made by a holy and a just God, there are consequences for sin. Romans 5.12 says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sin. You know, he goes on to say that the wages of sin is what? Death. Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. It's due to our sin that we become sons of disobedience and children of wrath. This is terrible news. Simply put, guys, we are in a pit that we can't get out of on our own. We all need to, to, something needs to be done about it and we can't do it, but guess who can? Ah, Jesus. And guess what? Welcome to the good news, he has. Jesus has done something about it. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one capable of solving the problem of sin and death and the brokenness it causes. This is the good news that, that God loves the world enough to give his only son to die for our sins. Friends, this is the gospel. You see, the gospel is the good news that, because that, 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 that our salvation and in our eternal life are guaranteed through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You know, the, the, the gospel is the good news that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the good news that, 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 that neither height nor depth, there's nothing that can separate you, Christian. Hear these words. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. You see, the gospel is the good news that, there, that, that, that not only have we been reconciled to God, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the gospel is the good news. Not only have we been reconciled, meaning not only has our sin been forgiven, but God, God has now adopted us into his family. Oh my goodness. Do you guys know who you are? Christian, do you know who you are? Students, teens, if you're here, do you know who you are? The world wants to tell you who you are, but they're lies. This is who you are. You are made in the image of God. And because you're made in the image of God, you are of infinite value and worth. There is nothing that can be stripped of you. And and not that value, not that worth. And the best thing about the image of God is even if you wanted to throw it off of yourself, you can't. You're stuck with it. Oh, you're stuck with infinite value and worth. Get over it. As if that's not enough. God knit you together in your mother's womb. God calls you by name. He's numbered the hairs on your head. The Bible says that God goes with us wherever we go, up to the heights or down to the depths. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And then what's more is is that not only has God done all of these things on your behalf, this is for the Christian. He's adopted you into his kingdom and he's made you fellow heirs with Christ. You, as you sit here today, you, Christian, are fellow heir to everything that God made with Christ. And what did God make? He made everything. That means everything is yours one day. You will rule and reign with King Jesus in his heavenly kingdom. That's who you are. See, the world is gonna to wanna to tell you that you should judge yourself based on, on your social media posts, how much likes like something, how your Insta's doing. They're gonna to to judge you on your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, what college you get into, how well you do in school, what kind of job you have, how much money you make, what kind of car you drive, how big your house is, what part of town you live in, and all of that. I'm telling you right here, all of that is for naught. The only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is your unchangeable relationship with a redeemer God and the son of heaven. He gets to say who you are and he's the one that's loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, to purchase you out of the depths of darkness and into his marvelous light. Christian, this is who you are. So why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one who solved the problem of sin and death. He's the only one capable because he's not just a man, he's the God man. And with my last, like, oh man, two minutes? No, minute and a half. Do three minutes. Shh. No one will know. When I talk about this this subject, oftentimes the rhetorical question that the author of Hebrews asked his audience, he said, "How will we escape if we neglect?" So great a salvation! How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Is what the author asks, and this, this 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 question rushes into my heart and my mind when I'm thinking about these things, because because like we're not I'm not talking I'm not talking about the superiority of 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 us, the superiority of a people group. I'm talking about the superiority of a person, Jesus. We don't think that people who believe in Christ are any better than anybody else. We're talking about Jesus and it's Christ alone who's sinless. Only only Christ has offered atonement. Muhammad was a sinner. He's dead and gone. He did nothing to solve the problem. Siddhartha, Buddha, Joseph Smith, even Moses, all of them are dead and buried and none of them did anything to solve the problem. Only Christ has offered us atonement. Only Christ has provided redemption. And friends, this breaks my heart to say it, it does, but if if, if that's not enough for you, then go your own way. But it's the only way. It's the only way that God's provided. You choose that or you perish. You see our question, our question shouldn't be Why is so God exclusive? What should amaze us is why he would pay such an incredible price to rescue any of us at all when we've all completely rebelled against him. You see, God, he's not responsible for the sin in our life, but know what? He's done something about it. He's done something to solve the problem and he's done it through Christ on a cross at Calvary. He's done it through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Christian, remember who you are. Father, I thank you. Uh, Most of all this morning, Lord, I thank you for Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our advocate. You're an amazing God, and we praise you for, for sending your son to die for us. And Lord, would we live in that? Would we own that? Would we plant ourselves in the fact of who we are according to the true story of reality, your gospel message, Lord? Thank you for our time together. Use us as we leave here, transform us, renew our minds and then send us out. Here we are, send us. We love you, help us love you more and each other better in Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys.